Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Journey to Wellness podcast. Today's guest is Don Weatherwax. Don is the owner of Sports Nutrition to Go and has worked with thousands of athletes, ranging from middle school athletes to professional athletes in her 20-plus years of experience. During my junior and senior years at Miami University, I was fortunate enough to work with her. What stood out to me, and what we'll get into a little more in this podcast, is how little high school and even college athletes know about nutrition and how it's impacting their performance. If you're an athlete looking for ways to take your game to the next level, do not overlook the importance of nutrition. We will talk more about this in this episode, so let's get into it. Welcome to The Journey to Wellness, a podcast that focuses on nutrition, exercise, mental health, and more. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Hi, Don. Thanks a lot for coming on the podcast today. Um, working with you during my undergrad years was a really eye-opening experience, and I learned a ton, probably more than I did in most of my classes. So I'm really excited for us to talk about how nutrition impacts athletic performance. So we'll just dive right in. Would you mind um, introducing yourself, talk about what you do, and maybe a little bit about how you got to where you are now? Sure. So my name's Don Weatherwax. I am a sports dietitian with a certification in athletic training, certified in strength and conditioning through the NSCA, and have had my own business for, sorry about that, up to 25 years now, working with recreational to professional athletes and people who want to get healthy, but mainly athletes right now. Awesome. So the first question I kind of want to unpack um, with you is concerning under eating in athletes. So sure. could you talk a little bit about how prevalent this is either based on, you know, your 25 years of experience or on any, on any research you've seen? Yeah. So there's some research out by this one lady who states that 75% of athletes chronically under eat. And wow. I, yeah. And I would have to tell you, I totally agree. And then depending on what sport you're talking about, it's probably even more. So if we're talking cross country, you're probably, I, I don't meet many cross country athletes that are even close to where they need to be. Uh, so I, I would definitely say that's more than 75%. But then if you're talking offensive linemen, you're probably not going to see it as much. Their issue is not probably eating the quality of foods that's needed in the right ratios to to maximize their performance. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, you hear so much about the obesity epidemic, but you don't hear so much about the other side of things, which is like the under eating, um, which you can commonly right. see in athletes. So, so going off it's of that, very like, prevalent. yeah, it is yeah. It's extremely prevalent. I think probably when you came in, you probably were surprised on what you saw all the time. And oh, so that sure. mark is not fueling enough to maximize growth health and performance all at the same time. Mm -hmm. And what I did, like what I saw and observed were like a lot of common themes, which we'll get into later, but I would say that was one of the biggest ones. So I wanted to kind of talk to you about that. Um, and kind of going off of that, um, how do you approach helping athletes determine how much they should be eating? So when I began my quest on opening my own sports nutrition business 25 years ago, I felt like that I felt I had to do something different to distinguish myself and to help me be a better sports dietitian. So 
I actually do actual metabolic testing. And I feel like if you have that opportunity, it would be the way to go. So we mm -hmm. actually use a device called MedGym. And that measures how many calories they actually are burning at rest. So that's how we count. That's how we get the numbers. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And I know a lot of the athletes thought that was like the most interesting part of um, their counseling session with you. So yeah, just kind of seeing where they're at in terms of how many calories they're burning. Yes. And <clears throat> sorry. And another side note to that is it's one thing for me if they came walking in our, you know, our door and we just said, oh, here's the calculations that I've come up with versus they're actually putting their mouths on this thing, like a mouthpiece. You breathe into this and you breathe five to 10 minutes at a rested state. It's your oxygen and CO2. And I always tell people someone really smart figured this out many, mm -hmm. many years ago. And it's good to be really smart, folks. So, uh, but when they actually have a test that they've completed, and this is what the test says, versus me just handing them, well, this is what I calculated. I feel like it also solidifies what you're saying to them. And exactly. then they believe, they believe more into that mm -hmm. data. Yep. And I know I'm a big fan of testing. I know you're a big fan of testing because of that exact reason. It shows you exactly um, where you are. But maybe for some people, they don't have access to that sort of testing or they don't have a dietitian near them that can do that testing. So what are some of maybe the best ways to, to you know, in this case, it would be, be estimating calorie needs if they don't have access to um, that metabolic test? So Mipton has been the most, so when I was going to school, at this I always laugh because now I'm too old to say now when I was going to school. <laughs> I never thought I would say that, but yeah, I am saying it. Flies. So when, yes, I am so young. I was five when I started my own business. So <laughs> to say otherwise, we were taught that the Harris-Benedict equation was the most accurate. And now I see mm -hmm. that a lot of people are using the MIFIN, M-I-F-F-I-N. But yeah. I know that there's one and I have to apologize because I'm spoiled. I have my own metabolic device, I don't mm -hmm. use estimate. So the one I would highly recommend if you can do body composition numbers is uh, the one that actually you can put their body composition numbers mm -hmm. in. So that, I don't know the name of that equation, yeah. but if you have that opportunity, but that also means you have to have their body composition numbers. So uh, MIFIN is the most common right now used. And that literally is on my fitness pal to mm -hmm. I'm sure many other applications that are out there. Yeah. And the thing is with those equations, it doesn't take into effect, um, like how much muscle mass someone has. And we know muscle mass, um, burns more calories than fat. So it would be better to base it off of, um, the body composition numbers if you have those, but, um, that kind of leads into my next question. Like you have years and years of experience, you've conducted probably thousands of these tests. Um, what do you see as like the main factors affecting how many calories someone needs? Well, your main factors, I mean, it will be gender and age, but mm -hmm. it, it's also the main factors is the amount of activity that you do and, and so forth. So I, mm -hmm. 
gosh, that's, it's funny because I just feel like so many things can affect metabolism without you knowing it. Mm-hmm. But your lean weight is going to make a difference on your resting metabolic rate because you should burn more calories at rest if you have more lean weight. Then, you know, so that's the factor that I feel the equations get wrong. If you have listeners that work with people who are older, you know, not a high mm-hmm. school market, that the equations automatically assume you burn less as you age. And I can share with you that the people that I've assessed and I've done probably over 10,000, I don't know, but I know it's at least (laughs) 10,000. That if they take care of themselves and they're active, then they usually can maintain the the metabolism. And that's Mm -hmm. what I've seen in my office. I don't, you know, and that's observational, you know, stuff yeah. that I see. So after, that's you why know, conducting I, so many, then there's something yeah. to that. <laughs> right. And, uh, you just go, wow. You know, if you do take care of yourself, if you're active, you maintain the lean weight. Cause the average person can lose up to two pounds of lean weight a year after age 30, if they don't do something wow. to maintain that. So oh, yeah. you can see if somebody's taking care of themselves and they're doing some type of resistance training, if that their body needs to maintain muscle tissue, which for most people it is that, or, you know, maybe body weight for some then that, but most people lose it. If you're working with the most, most of people out there are not, um, are not active. Right. But my client base, uh, is active. In fact, I can tell you probably in the course of, a whole year, I might get, and I'm not kidding when I say this, I might get five people who say they don't work out or have an activity routine or a training routine. So my client base is active adults and at, uh, you know, adolescents. Mm -hmm. So that way, that's why majoring is so much better to just see what's going on versus then when you're asking them, well, what did they eat at what time and how much you can match that with what it's saying. Secondly, if there are people out there who you have to understand the body can't see this world. So inside your body, you don't have eyeballs or ears to this world. So it goes off heat, right? So it goes off blood pressure and Mm -hmm. pulse and heat. Well, what is food? Right. So we, we food by definition is a calorie calorie by definition is heat and heat by definition is energy. So if athletes chronically under eat, the body goes, wait a second, I'm doing all of this activity, but the, the input of the heat is not there. So I, it must be a famine. It must be that the crops didn't work this year. It must be that we're hibernating for the winter. So, um, so the body is really geared to survive and it has so many backup mechanisms to survive. Mm-hmm. Uh, your goal is to thrive and most athletes are just in survival mode. And so also sometimes when you do metabolism testing, I've noticed that it's lower than what it should be based on their age, height, gender, so forth. And then when you get their nutrition intake, you can see, wow, your body has adjusted to that. So you have to know that that usually as you're working with somebody, you have to also pay attention to that because eventually the body goes, ah, there's enough fuel here. So now I can up your metabolism. 
and I can get into a thriving mode and I can burn fat and I can build muscle or um, those types of things that happen when you do it all correctly. Yeah, that's a lot of really good information. And our body really does adapt so well to what we feed it. Um, I just saw your post on LinkedIn today where um, it was like a roadmap. Um, and we'll talk maybe about those later too. But uh, I saw you increase calories for an athlete and they actually lost weight. And so that just shows that the body can adapt um, quickly and very effectively. Definitely. And again, if you think about it, even in the United States, they're always talking about poverty and how many, like what, right now with the pandemic, what is it, one in five or one in six people do not have enough food. Mm -hmm. So the body is set to survive to get mm -hmm. through these situations. Exactly. So we've kind of addressed the under eating portion and that main theme that I saw when I was working with you. But there were a lot of other, you know, common themes or mistakes you could say that I saw athletes making. What, what are the main things that you see athletes um, struggle with in their diet or even exercise? Well, first is most people don't even comprehend that nutrition is an important factor to the whole process. Mm -hmm. I truly thought when I started out, I was coming more as it was going to be, the profession would be thriving. And now I feel like we're slowly still getting there because when I present or I talk to people, you can see that one of the main comments that I get is we didn't know, didn't even think it was really a piece, really a big significant piece of the puzzle. Yeah. So I'm still getting that today. And so the, the lack of knowledge and then second is where the knowledge should be coming from. I don't believe that most people realize that a sports dietitian takes an average of seven, nine years of schooling. And the majority of people don't get their advice from a sports dietitian. And so that lack of transparency or what we can, what the profession should do for that athlete and how we can do it. So yeah. we have and a that's lot like of one of the, that's one of the main reasons yeah. I got into dietetics is because I saw not only did people not realize the importance of nutrition, but even the people that realized the importance of it, maybe weren't getting it from the best sources or, um, yeah, they, they weren't getting it from credible sources. So, right. And as you guys all know, everybody's our competition because everybody can comment on food. So mm -hmm. somebody's a foodie, they can comment on that. Somebody had a good uh, opportunity to lose body fat or lose weight per se, they can blog about it. And most people I would say get, try to seek out from, if they're seeking out, they're getting it from their strength coach or their personal trainer. And it's fine to educate but at the level that I go about the sports nutrition component, they cannot even get that from the strength coach or the personal trainer, unless they're a registered dietitian themselves. Mm -hmm. I agree. So what are some, what are some other common themes beyond that, that, um, you see athletes struggle with? I would say that also people believe that they can just eat whatever they want to get to that goal. So, mm -hmm. oh, well, you said I need 
3,000 units of energy or calories a day. So I can eat whatever I want as long as I maintain or get to that number. I still get that from coaches, which I'm not joking. I had Instagrammed or social media this one. I don't know when it was within the month, I think. Mm -hmm. And I have a football player where the coach is wanting him to gain 20 pounds. And in order to do this, they are giving him double servings of meals and making them eat it. And it's not quality food. And I'm sitting Mm -hmm. there going, we've worked a year and a half for him to excel. And that's why he's there at that university. Mm -hmm. And now all of his hard work is going to go out the window in a month or two because they assume that you adding weight is equivalent to adding muscle mass, which in turn, the average male can only put on a half to one pound of muscle a week if they do the nutrition and training at the same time in puberty. So there's no mathematical equation that's going to match 20 pounds of muscle in what they're doing. So he's going to be slower. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. And there's, yeah, there's going to be a lot of fat with that. It's not going to be all lean muscle, which in the end is going to end up hurting right? his performance. Yeah. And then that's not what they want, but that's what they're going to do to him. And then mm-hmm. they're only looking at a number of size and guess what? He's a freshman at a major university. His likely chance of playing his freshman year with COVID because they postponed the season till the spring. It's like, why don't you just take our roadmap that we created? You gain a half to one pound of muscle a week. You could put on 20 pounds in six months. You know, that's roughly Mm -hmm. the opportunity there and still get there. But you have to say no to your coach. How do you you deal with that? Yeah, Um, and that's a tough spot to be in as a dietitian. Right? Or, well, I just feel like I was there. That's lack of education. That's Mm -hmm. lack of education that coach has. So you have to educate that coach and say, you know what, here's the alternative, and he'll get there. And you'll be much happier with his outcome, because as you saw what I posted today, that athlete got way more explosive and way mm-hmm. faster. Who wouldn't want that? Because that's what that's what wins is speed and, exactly. and power and explosiveness. Obviously, they have to be talented and have the skill. So that's one piece of the puzzle, too, that – Athletes go, well, I burn so I can eat whatever. And again, you're not going to maximize your health, growth, or performance with that mentality. So um, you really do need to get the right macros at the right times for your body, your genetics, and the goals that you're trying to set forth. Mm -hmm. That's really good information. I think I definitely see that a lot too, is people will work out so that they can eat whatever they want. And that's not necessarily the case, you know obviously working out has its benefits, but if you really want to maximize, you need that nutrition piece as well. Right. And, and then I would say the last is you also don't have to be perfect either. Mm-hmm. You can be 80 to 90% on point and you'll still be very successful. So, mm-hmm. but with the right guidance and knowing, okay, now we need to add, or we need to change something, something's not quite working or we're not seeing the results or their training changes. So I'd say the last is, a lot of athletes, depending on the sport, if activity increases, a lot of times they don't increase their energy intake to match the increase in their training. So that's probably mm-hmm. the last thing that I see. Yeah. And, you know, if you're trying to be 100% on track, 
all the time, that's not going to be good for your mental health either. And, you know, a lot of your athletes that I saw at least, um, their diet was so bad to begin with that, um, going to 80% on point is a huge step in the right direction. Yeah. You know, when you saw some people, if they even went 30%, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yep. <laughs> right? I mean, some were really bad and you're just like, mm-hmm. I don't even know here, but I'm glad you're here, but exactly. far from the goal, but Hey, it's amazing how many people can put the time into training and the money that it takes, mm-hmm. but they invest in the nutrition piece. Yeah. So everyone wants those quick results. So, but realistically, how fast can an athlete start to see results after they start getting their nutrition right um, based on your experiences? Yeah. So it depends on where somebody's starting. But I'd say if we're talking, if our mantra today is the athletes that are likely under eating, then I'm not kidding. They could see a benefit within a week to mm-hmm. 10 days. Because and energy levels, right? Yes. And that's when I got them because they feel better. Mm-hmm. And many say, I'm not hungry. I'm tired. I'll sleep. Well, once they start getting the fuel because it's an energy source, a lot of times they feel better in practice and they are performing and they're not as sore and they can push harder and they can be more consistent with their pace or, or, you know, they go, wow, I can go all the way to the end. And I thought it was practice, but it was my nutrition mm-hmm. that was being the sport and me being an athlete. And now I'm finding it's my nutrition. So from a energy standpoint for today, the biggest thing they'll see or feel is a lot different. Now, if they don't feel a lot better, especially because I have another test that we do, and we could talk about that another time, I can actually Mm -hmm. measure this in their body. So I see the difference, but, and it matches how they feel. But Mm -hmm. sometimes some people, when they're eating enough or they're getting the right mix, but still kind of feel sluggish, then we have to look at some blood work or some and think parameters there, but yeah. most people will say they feel a million times better. And then they're on, then they're on board. You already won them over and they're willing can, to keep going. Can you just briefly talk about that, um, testing that you mentioned? Because I know when I first started, I had never, um, seen that type of t- testing used in the sports nutrition world. And so it's really interesting to me. So if you want to just briefly, um, go over what that is and why you sure. do that testing. Yeah. So it's called muscle sound and it can actually measure your glycogen stores. And when you're talking to the lay public, you're not going to say glycogen stores, right? <laughs> yes. We have, some people in the science world have a tendency to not talk to their consumer base. So how I say is we're measuring the fuel in the muscle, which this is measuring your carbohydrates in the muscle. Um, the data, the, the device has been out. So I've had it for two and a half years but I knew about it the minute it came out. It was just way, way, way too expensive. I go, I can't touch that with a 10-foot pole. It doesn't even make sense <laughs> to bring it into my business. Um, they found a way that I now use it. And I can tell you within a week of having it at my office, it has literally been one of the best pieces that I have could have added. And I feel it helps me help my client to not use subjective, they say they're eating enough. And now I have something that says yes or no to that equation. Mm-hmm. Um, if someone grows, the body pulls out carbs. So I can catch somebody going to grow. I can catch if they're growing, if they're gaining 
lean weight or weight and their car, their status is low, they're growing or going to grow. It's really cool to see. It also can track inflammation. So if something, somebody has a really bad injury site or something that's really painful, you will not absorb as much carbohydrates on that side of the body. So again, because I'm also an athletic trainer, I, in my sessions can go back and forth to being a sports dietitian to talking about injuries, rehab and recovery and understanding that and going, I think you need an orthopedic consult and recommending that, Mm -hmm. but it's priceless to see how much fuel. So your average cross country athlete, I tell them because they're always on, they, they tend most of that population is on the lean side and their underweight side are on the underweight side. So I want them at 80% fuel at all times. And I will share with you the average is 30% or less. Mm-hmm. I saw um, less a lot of times. <laughs> right? You are proof. I'm not making this up. And mm-hmm. so that can just, it just reinforces that they're not eating enough. And the other thing I want the audience to know is it doesn't always mean you need more carbohydrates. That you can see how you create your macros of carbs, fats, and proteins. Well. A lot of times they need more calories, but they also usually need more healthy fat and or more protein or all of it. Just because your carbs are low in the muscle does not mean that they need more carbohydrates. A lot Mm -hmm. of athletes eat a lot of carbs. What they need more now is a balance of fats, healthy fats, and protein. Mm -hmm. And 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 does timing have to do something with that as well? Yeah, because, you know, if you eat throughout the day, um, what can you eat prior or post, but because I'm not a collegiate facility or a professional facility where I am on base, right? I am right there where the action is. If you're somebody who's at the collegiate setting, I just feel like, I feel it's the best purchase you could ever make to help you educate these athletes. So if they're getting ready for a basketball game or because now it's NBA time, that you can, you don't have to tell them their data at the day, right? You're not, if they're depleted, you're not going to say, well, have a great game. You're at 1%. Yeah. <laughs> do, do your best. You send <laughs> yeah. them out there, you send them out there to die after the first quarter. Right. <laughs> right? You're like, go for it. Have fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, but afterwards you can do a post and you'll see it deplete. You'll see it, how much they go through. I've done mm-hmm. a pre and post on cross country on a, a test of, um, of when they, um, did a time trial and it also caught people who would do a sports drink. So I had some people who actually did a sports drink in between the first and at, before they came to saw me at the end of the time trial and it showed them absorbing the carbohydrates. Wow. It's cool. So <laughs> That's incredible. You could geek out on it. Right. But I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not in that setting, but I could tell you if I was, man, you could have a lot of cool data to start helping people like right there on site and helping them find out what works best for them. Mm-hmm. That was some of the, my favorite parts was seeing, you know, the before and after of their um, glycogen levels after working with you. Um, and you, they kind of correlates, like we said before, with how much energy they had. Um, like you just tell they were more energetic um, when they're in your office um, after their glycogen had gone up and after they had made those adjustments to their diet. So, right. but Yep. And then yeah, they're I, likely to have not in, you know, less likely to get injured. Their immune mm-hmm. system will rest. And it now makes sense because your precious muscle is not getting the fuel that it needs to recover and repair. So mm-hmm. we don't store carbs and protein in the fat. 
So people have to kind of make sure you educate your client base on that. Mm -hmm. Well, Don, this has been a super informative conversation. I just want to thank you again for coming on the podcast and sharing all your knowledge with us. This has been great. Ah, Ben, it's always a pleasure. (laughs) I, I really love talking and anytime and I wish you the best. You're awesome. And, um, kick Ludius Maximus if you're all right. <laughs> I will. Um, and everyone make sure to follow her on Instagram. It's at sports nutrition to go connect with her on LinkedIn, check out her website. Um, and as always, thank you for listening. And I hope everyone has a great week.